Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. Hey, before we get to our episode and the interview with Satoru Wakashima from CBX, which uh, you will want to watch, and there will be a link to the Vimeo page, it's a very visual episode. Uh, So if you're listening to this, it'll it'll be great, but there's a ton of visuals. They're a great graphic design and branding company. I want to remind you to go to peopleofpackaging.com, get your free ebook from our season three sponsor, Doxalent. Uh, not only does it help support our podcast, but it also will help support your business and your job. If you have to work with packaging specifications and packaging specification management, also uh, you can go to www.packaging.tips, put your email address in, and get your daily packaging tips newsletter. Uh, I've been learning a ton. It's been some incredible content every single day, right to your inbox. So once again, that's packaging.tips. Let's get to the interview. All right. Well, we've made it to another episode. I know everyone's been waiting. Uh, You know, when is that People of Packaging podcast episode going to come out? And today's your lucky day. It's out. Um, But not the moment, not this very moment that we're recording it. Uh, it's not simultaneously coming out, which is good because we can like edit it and mess up and feel free to be ourselves. So I am uh, super excited to be joined by Satoru Wakashima. Did I say that correctly? Satoru. Yeah. Sa- Satoru. Sorry. Gosh, I even asked no you. Uh, I, so I do get to travel quite a bit like internationally and and I I try very hard to pronounce things correctly. A lot of like I watch a lot of sports and and American an, uh, uh, announcers tend to take pride in like butchering people's names and it just drives me crazy. So, um, so Toru, so so hang on, Satoru, right? Satoru, Satoru. There you go. All right, nailed it. Satoru <laughs> Wakashima. And if you're not watching this on video, uh, he has an incredible guitar collection, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, but. Uh, Satoru, welcome to the People of Packaging podcast. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, so what is, let's get some of the basics out of the way uh, before we talk about packaging and guitars and consumer behavior and brand architecture and all sorts of stuff. Um, So what's the company that you work for? What's your job role there? You know, just sort of the the real quick hitting resume. Uh, Sure. So I work for a company called CBX. We're a brand strategy and design agency, and I'm the managing director there, which means I get to work with all sides of the organization, ranging from uh, strategy to uh, creative to production, uh, all the way through the entire process. I've been in in branding for over 25 years. Uh, A big part of branding is obviously packaging, which is what we're here to talk about today. 
And I've worked on, on everything uh, from beverages uh, like Snapple and Canada Dry to food like Doritos, uh, home goods like Clorox, pet care like uh, Milkbone, uh, beer, wine, and spirits. Really, it runs the gamut. And I've been very fortunate over the course of, of my career um, to, to really work on some of the world's most loved brands. And that's something that, uh, you know, as, as a, a fan of packaging, um, you really get to see how the brand manifests itself in its most simplest and basic form, which is the package. Yeah, that's great. Um, and where do you reside? I live in North Caldwell, New Jersey. Our office is located in, in Manhattan. And right now, uh, you know, geography means nothing. We're spread right. out all over the world, all over the country due to quarantine, but uh, we're, we're able to work very effectively remotely. Yeah. And is that, uh, this is, has nothing to do with packaging or the podcast, but as the managing director, um, is, do you foresee remote work uh, kind of remaining with some level of perpetuity or is there a lot of energy that you're looking forward to kind of colliding with people in the office and, and getting that back? Sure. You know, nothing beats uh, the collaborative process when, when you're in a room together and you're throwing work on a wall and kind of going, wow, like, like, look, let's look over here and, and take a look at this. Uh, the, so that's something that I don't think will ever go away. I think we'll always want to have that kind of in-person collaboration. The nice thing is, is uh, there are a number of, of new tools that we've been using uh, actually before even quarantine. Uh, Miro, for example, is a wonderful online collaboration tool that allows us to look at things in real time, follow each other. You can post everything. You can post comments. So I do see us probably having a combination of both. I think there is there's value to uh, having some personal time and space. But at the same time, I do think that we all uh, kind of groove on having that that collaborative energy when you're all together. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, it's been wonderful to, you know, work in my uh, in my sweatpants from my office. But at some point, I think there there is a a component of not only the creative process, but also like combining creativity and community. Uh, we're 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 sort of natural as as just species. I think we're very communal. And, and from that, I think it spurs a lot of our creativity. So, um, yeah, I miss the camaraderie, you know, something that that's uh, challenging about working from home is your, your days are, are broken up into, uh, little sections of meetings and you just go from meeting to meeting to meeting. I'm sure you do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And something that, uh, we certainly miss is, is just the, the camaraderie of, of these are people that you like to work with, that they're your friends and you like being around and, uh, nothing really replaces that. So, you got to yeah. make time for it. Yeah, well, hopefully. And then there's people who are like, I am so glad enough to see those people. <laughs> and it's like, you should have found another job. Uh, this is true. Awesome. And, and so real quickly, tell me about the guitars in the background. I count, let me see, one, two, three, four, five. Looks like there's a, some, is there a bass and some electric guitars and you got some. Yeah, you this, got is, a, uh, thing. this is kind of uh, my my collection, it kind of goes all over. Wow. So um, this uh, this room started out as my office and I hung up a couple of guitars. Um, the collection is, is actually down to about 35 instruments. So this isn't, this isn't everything. And that's actually down from what it was. At one point it was, uh, it was a little out of control. So over the years uh, being a musician, I've, I've 
uh, had the need for different guitars and uh, I've, I've just really gotten into the appreciation of the instrument from uh, collecting them to uh, restoring them and, and certainly playing them. So the, the good news is, is now my, my kids also play. My son's a, a guitar player. My, my daughter is, is, uh, is 12 and she's a ukulele player. So uh, it's, it's become a, a thing that I can share with everyone. That's great. Uh, I actually bought my daughter, uh, who's 11, a, a ukulele, and she's been just trying to kind of figure it out. I think it's uh, it's awesome. All right. So uh, put you on the spot question. Um, yeah. this, is a, this is a fun one, but don't overthink it. Sure. So there's some weird dystopian future where you are only allowed to listen to one artist the rest of your life. One music, <laughs> one musical artist. The only kind of music you can consume is by this one artist. Uh, who is that? Either you know, artist or group that you would pick. Sure, I uh, I love this band called the Distillers, and uh, they're a uh, an LA punk band that uh, fronted by the, this this great singer who's just got this raw emotional voice that I can just listen to all day. So I discovered them by accident a couple of years ago. My son also really got into them and uh, I, I can't wait till I can see them live. Man. So that's it. That's your, that's the one band. Just, you're just going to roll you, with you it. You told me to pick one. I know you did it. You did it, but now you got to own it. I don't know. Uh, well, that's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I still don't know the answer to that. I've asked it uh, a couple of times uh, just to friends. It's hard. It's a tough I listen one. To everything. I, I know. I don't, I don't listen to everything. Actually. I I'm not great. I listen to, I listen to a lot of hip hop music. I might go with the, with maybe the Fugees. Uh, I've actually got okay. back here. I've got a, a friend of mine did this uh, rendition of Lauren Hill and I'm a big Fugees fan. So maybe I go with that. I don't know, but sure, anyway, cool. that's let's uh, let's get into um, CBX. Are, are you guys just in uh, Manhattan or do you have locations around the world? We have uh, we have two offices, uh, New York and also Minneapolis. Okay. And we also have uh, sister agencies, one in Paris, France, uh, one in uh, in Asia, as well as a digital partner agency that we work with uh, that's based in New Jersey. Okay. Very good. Um, well, this is a it's it's a really fascinating topic, and my my guess is that since, you know, we're going to talk about it, that you have a sense of, uh, I don't know what the word would be, ownership or, uh, you know, not, not genius, that's not the right word, but passion, I guess, <laughs> passion for the topic um, and, and spend a lot of time discussing this. So it's this idea of the intersection between consumer behavior, brand architecture, and how is that reflected in packaging design? And while that might sound like a mouthful to a lot of people, it is... It is maybe in my, you know, 13 years of being in the packaging industry, it's sort of the big question when it comes to printed packaging is how does this move, you know, and, and, and stay consistent with our brand and, and, sure. and you know, reach out to people. Um, and, and so I, I, I want to get into this. I, I, you, you shared some examples so we can either go through each example, and you can sort of speak to that. My guess is that these are examples of, uh, of businesses that you worked on. You mentioned a few at the beginning, so. They are, you know, before we get into that, uh, you know, maybe something just to preface with, um, uh, we at CBX, we talk a lot about how uh, our, our job is to help our clients' brands connect with people, 
right? And as we talk about packaging uh, being a communication touch point, uh, being a, an expression of the brand, uh, it's, it's important that we think about packaging as something that connects with people on a, an emotional level. There, there's packaging that serves a function, you know, milk carton holds milk, right? Uh, a, a shopping bag hold, holds groceries. But when you get into package design specifically, we are looking to elicit an emotional response. And as marketers, you know, we want to make sure that that response is, is what we want them to do or think. Right. And, and that's really the, the piece of it that, um, you know, we, we try to really understand what the insights are that are driving how people make decisions. Uh, years ago, I, I studied under uh, one of my great mentors, Marco Bay, and he was on the forefront of what he called emotional branding. And, and the concept was simply that there are visual cues and codes and uh, sensory uh, aspects of how we react to what we see and touch every day. And we're exposed to millions of messages every day from what we see, you know, on the web to what we see on TV, uh, just walking down the street, opening our refrigerator. But all of these messages uh, employ cues and codes that that we react to. And that can be everything from colors to shapes to all the different elements that we use as, as designers to uh, elicit a response from, from our audiences. Um, packaging is something where you've got a captive audience. People are looking for your product or they're, they're scanning a section or they're in the refrigerator because they've already bought it and they're looking at it for the second time. But you've got a captive audience and you have the ability to really impact people in terms of how they behave um, again and again and again, because it's something that they will see, hopefully they buy your product more than once. And if that's mm -hmm. the case, you have the opportunity to get them to behave and react uh, in different ways. And, and that's really something that I think is, is pretty fascinating about packaging by comparison to uh, all different other forms of media. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the idea of packaging, I mean, packaging is, is very clearly tied to branding, you know, and, and especially in whatever the post-pandemic world that we emerge from where, you know, direct to consumer has become significantly increased um, uh, through, you know, through e-commerce platforms that already obviously was emerging with, you know, that, that tiny internet company called Amazon, they were doing some things, but um you know, the, the, the connectedness, while it had the focus, largely it would seem in, in kind of the retail brick and mortar environment has, I've seen even more movements towards like, well, what's that unboxing experience like? What, right. you know, is the, is my packaging socially shareable? Is it interactive? Does it generate an illicit response to, um, you know, for repurchasing in the home. And so it's almost like the, the level of competition has, has broadened for, for brands. Um, are you guys, are you having to navigate that uh, similarly? Absolutely. It's not, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, for, from how people shop, uh, you know, you mentioned Amazon, people are, are now uh, doing the majority of their shopping given the quarantine online. So you're seeing people buying a lot of things that they're looking at a picture that is, you know, at first glance, it's like less than an inch tall, 
right? And then you can zoom in on it, but you really can't hold the package in your hand and you're only as good as how it was photographed. So there, there are considerations that we need to uh, examine now that we didn't have to, uh, you know, two years ago. And this is something that we continue to look at because I think it will continue to evolve. Yeah, no, it's, it, I think the, uh, you know, the only thing certain is going to be change, right? And we are, my kids, uh, how many kids do you have, by the way? Do you have two? You I have two. Very I good. have a 14 year old and a 12 year old. Oh, see, we are, uh, I have five that are 13, oh, wow. 11, nine, seven, and five. So amazing. Um, and you have time to do this. Incredible. Well, yeah, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's for, it's for, the, it's for the packaging culture. Um, <laughs> that's right. But uh, my kids, my, my oldest two, especially my 13, 11 year old have been very astute. And they said, it's just crazy that we're living through history. I'm like, yeah, yeah when you're my age, are. you're going to be talking about this time and we're still in the middle of it, you know? So what it's, what it's going to, what it's going to emerge and what new innovations you look at all the stuff that emerged out of the great depression and the companies that emerged out of the great recession that we lived through in you know, the, the late two thousands. Um, while it sucks, there's no doubt about it. It sucks. Right. There's also a, a hope I think that is starting to really percolate, which is what goodness is going to come out of this. And I think that, that brands are going to really have to adjust and evolve. So it's, it's um, a historic moment for sure. You know, and, and you mentioned, uh, uh, the experience of, of unboxing, I, I think, uh, something that the pandemic has and the quarantine has has forced us to do is is shop more online for things that you wouldn't normally shop for online. And uh, I know just a recent experience to share with you. I, uh, I I was ordering a pair of glasses and I went to Warby Parker and you know I I had heard about their uh, their system of of you you go online you pick frames they send you the frames and then you send them back and you get to try them on for five days right i'd never done it so i finally said all right let me let me try to do this i don't feel like going to a store to try on glasses right now and the experience of doing that uh was was really really uh amazing because not only did i get to have that experience of oh my new glasses are here they, they sent them very very quickly the packaging itself was very informative it kind of was uh, set up to explain exactly what the steps I had to go through. But there was that excitement of, oh, my, my new glasses, my new frames are here, let me try them on. And what made it special was they, uh, they use this tray for the different glasses. And it's the kind of tray that you would see in a store, in an eyeglass shop. Mm -hmm. So that's really what it, it translates directly to that kind of experience at home. And I, I just thought that was really just well done. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting my glasses finally and seeing what they look like. But I just thought I'd share that. No, that kind of yeah. unboxing moment is something that we're going to need to consider again and again and again, because that is a uh, part of, of the purchase process. Yep. Yeah. And there, there's a lot there uh, that, that could be unpacked. Warby Parker's obviously done a tremendous job. Um, the, the thing that you mentioned to me about e-commerce that was a, a new thought that I wrote down is... Um, you know, packaging design for like online thumbnail viewing on a cell phone. I've never, I've never thought about, you know, that some of the text that normally you could probably read when you pick it up is not going to be legible. And how does that change? So um, that's, that's super fascinating to me. I'm going to have to noodle on that one a little bit. So I appreciate that. Um, I do want to get into some of these examples sure. of, of brands that you've, you and CBX have worked on. 
and just kind of talk through the packaging and how how the and I think this will be really informative for a lot of people listening, especially people who are uh, newer to the packaging industry. Maybe you're graduating from uh, from a university or something like that and studying packaging. Um, you know, just kind of walking through some of the not all of your secrets, obviously, but you know, just some of the cool things that you do and how you connect packaging to brands and um, and how that's uh, how that's kind of driving consumer behavior. So this first one is uh i think we got snapple yeah so we got snapple up here yeah um you know it looks like we have some shrink sleeves is that correct that's right this um, is the uh the, the the latest snapple design that's just rolling out now it's uh it's starting out on the west coast i believe in, in certain limited markets and they're slowly rolling it out across the united states but this is out now and uh this is is the latest version of um, a brand that we have worked on uh, at CBX for over uh, 12 years. You know, we've, we've worked on the evolution of it. And um, it's, it's a funny thing when you work on a brand that is as loved as Snapple, because people have visceral reactions to it immediately. No matter what you do, people either love it or they hate it or they can't stand it or they just have really, really strong emotions of, uh, you know, when they see something like this. And, and that's natural uh, to have those kinds of reactions. Uh, the thing that I, I always remind people is, is that the brief is always different, right? And unless you know what the objective was, unless you understand what the brief was, you know, for designers, it's always a very challenging thing because they're trying to answer the brief. They're not trying to make what's going to be popular for everyone. They're trying to answer a very specific task that was given to them by the marketing team. And in this case, you know, the, uh, the idea was to revamp Snapple to be much more relevant for uh, today's audience. And this is a, a product in this category where there are so many different entries in the beverage category every single day. And Snapple as a brand has been around throughout all of it, right? right? And their their whole uh, their whole gestalt has always been about it's a great tasting product. And to this day, it's undeniably a great tasting product, right? You can try all these other new aged beverages that are lighter or just an essence or just a touch of. But when you you have a Snapple, you're like, wow, it tastes really good, right? Right, right. And your, your, your peach tea really tastes like a peach, right? Few brands can actually deliver on their promise of taste and Snapple's one of them. So as we talk about behavior, right? The, the idea is to capture that kind of flavorful experience in a very singular expression. And what you mentioned, uh, the shrink film, uh, it allows you to have a very, very vibrant, uh, a clear depiction of fruit so that when you see it, the first thing you think of is that's going to be a mouthwatering, flavorful experience. And, and that's really what we're after with this package. Yeah, so it's connecting um, the, and is this a glass or is this like a, um... What, what kind of container? PET container? HGTE. So, so this is part of the story, right? It's it's PET. Okay. Snapple for many many years has been in glass, uh -huh. and a lot of people will say, "Oh, you know, plastic. That's that's not good for the environment." Uh, quite the contrary. Uh, the the plastic PET packaging actually is more environmentally conscious, recognizing that glass packaging is heavier. Mm -hmm. And the infrastructure for recycling plastic uh, for PET specifically is actually more expansive and more efficient than it is for glass. 
So this package, uh, although it is in PET and it, it steps away from glass, and Snapple did that, I believe it was about two years ago, they moved into a, 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 a plastic bottle from glass. That move was intentional and it wasn't a cost-saving measure. It wasn't a measure right. to try to uh, you know, change uh, uh, anything that they were doing other than this is better for the environment. This is a smart move for them. Yeah. Yeah. A life cycle analysis, uh, you know, glass to PET is from a carbon perspective is, is pretty telling. Um, yeah, that's right. To, to, to make that move. Yeah, this is, this is great. And my uh, anecdotally, my dad uh, is a, is a huge diet Snapple fan. And, mm. uh, and I mean, he loves the way it tastes, you know, all that. But he's also a, um, uh, well, he's, he's a big sports fan. And so he told me, he said, every time he opens up a diet, I think it's a peach iced tea, maybe at halftime of a Denver Nuggets game, they win. So he always has to have his Snapple, but they've lost a few in a row. So I think he's, uh, uh, I think he's full of it at this point, but this is, this is really cool. Um, and so this is rolling out on the, on the, on the West coast with the, um, and it even, by the way, it even on the e-commerce side of things, like this is a much bolder expression of the brand that is connecting the visual to what they're already have experienced. You know, I'm sure that Snapple is obviously, like you said, it's been around for a while. It's a very mature, uh, brand. It has a lot of, um, you know, people who just go and they, they drink their Snapple. Um, right. but now, now the, you're saying that the shrink sleeve helps to connect the, the visuals to the, the actual taste of, of the product. Sure. Yeah. There, there are a number of things work working as one here in this package. Uh, you'll notice that the, the bottle structure itself has a, a slight taper in the middle, mm -hmm. right? So that allows us to place the, uh, the Snapple logo, which also has been uh, updated in a way that harkens back to the old Snapple logo. Got we call it, it the racetrack, right? It's this holding shape with a, an outline around it. Uh, that actually is, is derivative of, of one of the older Snapple logos that we worked with that eventually the brand walked away from. We brought it back, but in a much new fashion with a, a, a blue um, color in the, in the center to help that logo pop. But that, that waist shape in the bottle allows you to uh, get some focus to that, that logo. But in addition to that, you know, you'll see where the curvature of the bottle is. That's also where the fruit kind of curves. So it all kind of brings your eye towards that. You know, as we talk about behavior and we talk about portfolio architecture, the idea here is, is first and foremost to get people to want to uh, buy into Snapple as a great taste experience. But beyond that, Snapple is known for having all these great varieties. And when you have lots of different products, uh, you have to be able to navigate them. Right. And yep. that's where architecture comes into play. That's really what portfolio architecture is really all about is how do you allow consumers to uh, be led into an entire array of different products, but do it in a way that doesn't make them even notice it. Right. Mm. So it has to be intuitive. It has to be easy to understand. And it has to be something where, again, they can find what they want to find. But oftentimes, you know, that process of, of finding what you find is also about deselection what I don't mm, want. Right. I, I don't want this type of product. I don't want this flavor. I like these kinds of flavors. So we look at that process of just how does the consumer make their decisions in order to come up with a portfolio architecture that's going to make sense for that brand, that product portfolio, and that consumer. And it's different every time. Yeah. 
Well, we're going to get on, we're going to move on here to, to Doritos. Let me just give my, my, uh, this is my, my current packaging soapbox, I guess, if you will, is, um, shrink sleeves, uh, depending on the material that's used on a PET container, um, are, are causing some problems at, uh, material recovery facilities. And so I encourage people, if you can to add a, you know, a, a double vertical tear strip so the consumer can, you know, zip the shrink sleeve off and properly recycle clean and recycle because clear PET has a ton of value in the recycling stream. So that's um, right. Uh, yeah, that would be my, uh, there's my, there's my, uh, my PSA to Snapple. Um, I will make the recommendation for sure. Awesome. Uh, so Doritos, uh, this has been a brand that has followed me since I was a child. Um, I, there is no, in my, in my opinion, I know we're not talking about cool ranch Doritos, but that's just been it. I mean, that's like the, that's the snack chip of choice for me and, and many others. So, um, so flame and hot nacho Doritos, we've actually got two slides on this. Uh, yeah. and so talk, talk us through, uh, you know, how, how did this connect and, and what were you trying to do with, with Doritos? Right. So, so talk about brands that uh, are known for flavor. Doritos is one of these, these brands that are just known for flavor and they, they have a, a rabid following people that, that love Doritos as, as a snack. They, they are absolutely crazy diehard for it. The interesting thing was, uh, you know, when you talk about flaming hot, and, and heat and, and things that are spicy. Um, people that are really into spicy food and, and hot food, they're really into it. They're fanatical about it. And yeah. we did a lot of research with consumers to understand, you know, what is the, the best expression of something that is, is flaming hot? What does it say to you, right? And the responses were hilarious because people were saying things like, we had one guy who was saying, I want this to, to burn my mouth. I wanna be in pain when I eat this thing, right? And we were like, I don't know if we can even deliver on that, right? But that's the kind of emotion, again, that, that people want to have uh, when, when they're looking forward to this flaming hot experience. So for us, it's, it's uh, this aspect of you're trying to get people to behave a certain way in, in their, you're trying to attract them of, you're going to have this, this hot experience that you so very much crave, right? How do you do that in a way that is in the moment? So when they see it, they're like, that is hot immediately. Yeah. And what better way to do it than have the chip literally burning through the bag? And that <laughs> is really the simple idea that is, is working here. And you know, as we, we started to extend the possibilities of this, this is actually some concept art that we developed. You know, it, it has the potential to extend across the entire portfolio, recognizing that flaming hot as, as a, a property can work across all of um, Frito-Lay's uh, snack chips uh, that involve uh, hot flavors. Yeah, yeah, that's, I love the, uh, the, the kind of the printed, the printed piece here against the brick wall where you, you don't see the, the chip, but you already know, you, you know the shape of Dorito. Like you said, these are iconic brands. So Cheetos, Lay's, Doritos, these are, and so you, you, you just know, and uh, the, the fact that it's just burned, you know, this idea that it's just, it's so hot that it's just burned right through the, the film or burned right through the paper is, uh, it, it's really cool. But again, that, that emotional connection, because you're right, I mean, there's entire, uh, you know, there's entire game shows Oh, about oh, yeah. people just eating hot stuff. I'm like, are you crazy? What is, what is wrong with you people? 
but they are there. There are that uh, there, there's hot sauces and even wings that uh, the, the the server has to warn the people ordering. If if you order the the hottest level of it, they have to actually warn. They're they're required to do so. Uh, it's it's fanatical, and people that are really into hot food love it. And something like this for Doritos, uh, you know, what better brand to have that kind of super flavorful hot experience? Yeah, definitely. And this is, uh, I've never had to make this transition before from Doritos to Clorox. So I'm just going <laughs> to do it. And we're just going to transition into Clorox. I don't, I mean, there's really no. So, so this is a, a, another uh, brand that, that we are super proud of our, our work and affiliation with, with Clorox. Uh, you know, th this brand is, is an icon. And uh, when you think of bleach, when you think of clean, uh, Clorox is one of these brands that comes to mind. Now, uh, with the the pandemic, uh, clean has a whole new meaning for people. Exactly. Right? And it becomes not just I want clean, it becomes I need clean. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, for us, as, as we were looking to uh, re restage this brand, part of it was really understanding, because granted, this was on a, a global scale, right? Uh, we had to understand what, what clean meant in different cultures. And, mm. and something that was universal across all the different uh, uh, regions that we looked at around the world was clean was about a feeling. It wasn't so much about the act of cleaning, right? That's something that no one really looks forward to, right? Well, I got to clean my floors. I got to clean my bathroom. But what I really- think, I think there's people who enjoy cleaning as a cathartic <laughs> experience. But again, they're the same kinds of people that enjoy the hot sauce. Like- God bless you people. That's all I have to say. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the insight was actually uh, that those people, the reason why they're, they're driven by it, it's because of the feeling after. Right? Yeah. It's the feeling yeah. that clean gives you, right? And people want that experience, that confidence of, I know my house is clean. I know my floors are safe. Uh, but there's this also pride element of, I, having a clean house is representative of, of everything else about me. So when you walk in and you see my clean kitchen floor, it's a reflection of myself and a reflection of how I care for my family as well. Now, even more so, especially as because we're talking about the importance of clean being, I hate to say it, but a life or death matter, right? Where people have to feel like it isn't just about uh, making things look clean and having the clean feeling. It's really about having the confidence of knowing it's clean. So to talk about the design, you know, we try to capture uh, elements of the brand, recognizing that this is a brand that has tremendous equity, years oh, and years yeah. and years. And when you see that shape, you go, okay, that's Clorox. But how could we present it in a way that still provided the reassurance and confidence of the brand, uh, but presented it in a, a more contemporary fashion, but also uh, evoked this this sense of the feeling you get from once your, your job is done and you have a, a clean house. Yeah. And so is this there, um, has, has this rolled out then this, this new design? This, this is rolling out as well. This, uh, a lot of these, these packages are out on the shelf today. Some are still being rolled out internationally. Um, the, the thing to understand here is Clorox. When you say Clorox, most people think of jug bleach. Right. Mm -hmm. And up until the pandemic, people didn't really pay that much attention to things like wipes and sprays. 
Uh, certainly they do now, but the reality is, is Clorox has a host of different products that they, they uh, provide consumers with to clean their house and home and keep their family safe. And the fact that we're dealing with different package structures, again, is all part of how do you create a portfolio architecture and a design system that's going to allow consumers to shop the portfolio from category to category. And oftentimes these products aren't even on the same shelf in the store that they can find what they need and also select uh, the products going to be right for them. So when you're designing something um, for whether it's, you know, Clorox or Doritos or whomever, um, how difficult is, so I'm looking on my screen here and, you know, I see shrink film and I see, you know, probably like offset printed cut and stack labels, and there's probably pressure sensitive labels, and then there's paperboard folding cartons. And, you know, there, there's a there's a wide medium of not just materials that have to be used to accomplish this, but also then print methodology. Do you That's get true. do you get super involved then in protecting the brand equity and brand integrity to ensure that those those colors are consistent across the board? And, and what does that process look like for you all? That's right. You know, it always starts with, with the concept. You want to make sure that you, you have a, a winning concept. If, if you try to design with lowest common denominator in mind, you have uh, some some pretty difficult challenges Got it. creating a design, right? So you start with what's your idea. And then from there, it's it's what compromises or what changes do you have to make to accommodate the different uh, production constraints. But we always start by having a, a clear understanding of what is possible. And then from there, sometimes it does involve some conversations with either our, our, our clients production folks or even their uh, suppliers and, and printers and manufacturers to understand how can we push the boundaries of what you're currently doing. Some clients are very good about, they want to have the opportunity to put something out there that's really going to represent their brand consistently and effectively. Other clients are saying, no, these are the, the constraints of our systems and you have to work within them. Yeah. Uh, we work both ways, but you're absolutely right. That is a process that uh, we have to go through from start to finish, from conceptualization all the way through the actual production of the final art mechanicals, considering the print techniques that are being used, how those machines uh, print those films, how they're cut, how they're wrapped around, what kind of distortion you might get from the... Uh, the, the shrink process. And these are all things that we test. We work yeah. with our clients and their, their suppliers to understand uh, what, what is possible. And sometimes you have to make some changes along the way. That's okay. Uh, you know, I think everyone is, is, has, has, has the same objective in mind, which is they want to reproduce the brand uh, as consistently as possible, as accurately as possible, uh, recognizing that there may need to be some sacrifices made along the way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, from, you know, from a brand that, you know, from all intents and purposes, it looks like, like that, you know, I recognize, you know, it's, it's Clorox. And to be fair, I wouldn't, I don't know that I know enough about, we, we buy a lot of Clorox in our house. We have five children. So we clean up a lot of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I, like the changes that were made are, are probably, you know, very uh, informative and nuanced and as the brand is growing, but it still is Clorox. I, it's, a, it's a recognizable brand. And I know that, um, so, so this next brand is Lando Lakes. And, you know, we, 
So, so that you guys know, we have not chatted through this together. So this is our, this is our live conversation. So I'm not exactly sure, uh, you know, what we're going to talk about, but I do know that, that Lando Lakes did have to go through uh, a rebrand from a, from a social perspective. And so were, were you a part of that? And is that, yes. um, and so connecting the brand with consumer behavior um, while not losing, because Lando Lakes has brand equity um, as, as a brand. So uh, how did, how did that, how, how did that work for you all as you were working with them to, this is fascinating because I watched it sure. happen, you know, um, yeah. So what was that, what was that process like to, I don't know, I'll, I'm going to use a word that I've never used on the podcast, but we'll just go with it to decolonize the brand. Right. But- right. Well, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting story because uh, this, this restage actually started uh, with the maiden, which we call her uh, on the package. Uh, she, as you know, has been part of the Land Lakes brand equity for many, many years, yep. part of the recognizable element. So, uh, you know, consumers readily identify the brand due to that, that maiden depiction. Uh, that said, uh, again, I talked about, you know, earlier about what was the brief. The brief at the time was when we, we underwent this, this restage was not about the maiden at all. It was really more about how do you tell a story about Lando Lakes as a brand being a co-op of dairy farmers ah, right? okay. and trying to get around the, the real, per- it's a brand with a purpose, right? You have real products that are made by proud farmers across the country who for a hundred years, you know, have been providing the, the milk and dairy products for Lando Lake butter products that, that you, you know, know and love. And that was really the story. So how do we create something that was, uh, both a fresh take and a contemporary look and feel for the brand, but also telling that story on the back of pack, which few people knew, right? And then mm-hmm. from there, uh, the the controversy of the maiden came uh, came to light, and that was something that was a, um, a decision that was made by you know the the organization to. Uh, proceed with removing the maiden from their packaging, recognizing that it was a risk. It was something that um, the brand was known for for many years, that it was seen as a piece of visual equity. But in the light of the social responsibility that they had, uh, it was the right thing to do for the brand. And even in doing that, it was also seen as as a very uh, earnest and genuine move that made the brand even more likable and even more uh, relatable as a brand that was evolving with the times. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I can, I can only imagine, I mean, you've distilled that conversation down into, you know, uh, one minute, but to combine the, the brief of connecting with local dairy farmers, because until you told me that uh, to, you know, to your point, I was not aware of of that and so that's that's such a great point and again if i really encourage if you're not if you're listening to this uh, i'll have the video posted it's a really visual interview uh so apologies if you're listening in your car or you know wherever you're listening to it and you're like what are they talking about well get on to get on to the the vimeo link and you can watch it but um, on the back of the pack this all together better um you know connecting to the to the local farmers uh on that point, let me ask you this uh, before we get to our final two, and that is, 
Um, what, what do you think of, and do you deploy smart packaging um, with the, obviously the, not just the rise of mobile usage, but the necessity of mobile usage from, you know, from most people in, in the developed world where, you know, you've seen things like augmented reality all the way to, you know, just kind of connecting to a static website. Um, Have you toyed around with ideas where somebody could connect to the actual farmer? You know, you have a chain of custody that they could actually see what was happening. Um, You know, the- We haven't done it specifically for for Land O'Lakes. You know, we we always try to uh, have an eye towards uh, technological advancements and, and how we can enhance the experience through package design. You know, the, the use of, of QR codes, the use of augmented reality, these are all um, great opportunities for brands to um, go beyond what is expected, right? And there's certainly uh, tools that we, we recommend to our clients to consider, there is a um, considerable investment that needs to be made in order to commit yep. to something like that because yeah. you know you have to create uh, the the media essentially for uh, these things to to be live and you have to maintain them and oftentimes uh, our, our clients may not necessarily be ready for that so yep. I think it's something you'll see more and more of. Uh, people shopping with their mobile devices, people having their mobile devices with them 24 seven, like my son, for example, Uh, when they go to the supermarket, when they go to the store, yeah, they're absolutely using things, whether it's to look at the list that you made for your grocery list or to uh, look up information. And the easier we can make it uh, to find information, but more importantly, to enhance the experience so that people connect with the brand. And again, in this emotional way, it's something that I think is, is still untapped and we'll see more and yep. more of it. Well, we got a couple more and then we're going to wrap it up. So uh, I'm hungry now. So I appreciate that. Uh, and I, now I want some chocolate chips. So let's talk about this uh, Pillsbury again. You know, these are just some epic brands that you're, you're working with, you know, and they really are. They're, they're great brands that again, uh, CBX were so fortunate to have the opportunity to partner with these organizations, uh, work with some of the best marketers uh, in the world, and also work on these brands that people just love. Uh, we're, we're talking about Pillsbury. Uh, Pillsbury is a brand that CBX has worked on for many years. Uh, we worked with them when they were looking to change their approach to their business. And uh, if you think about Pillsbury, it's, it spans a variety of different product types. You know, there's the classic crescent rolls to chocolate chip cookies, all sorts of different baked goods. But the reality is, is a lot of these baked goods uh, require effort, right? They require some effort. Mm-hmm. And as the, the supermarket dynamic has changed, where you have fresh baked goods in your local supermarket readily available, the relevancy of having to make it yourself uh, is, is diminished. And that was something that they started to to realize that people are getting a, a just as good fresh baked experience, uh, fresh from the bakery from their local supermarket. How do you compete with that? Yeah. After extensive work with them, uh, it was really about defining a new belief and purpose for them. And uh, where we essentially landed was uh, to make a long story short, 
Pillsbury needed to shift from being a baking company, which they were known for for many years, to a making company, right? And when mm. you think about that, just a little play on words, right? Uh, if you think about it, a lot of people will say, well, I don't really like to cook or, or bake, but I like to make stuff, right? And uh, you'll see people take jarred pasta sauce and chop up garlic and throw in more oregano and fresh herbs, and they feel like they're cooking, right? Uh, same kind of thing where if you uh, give someone the opportunity to take some some dough and break it up into pieces, put it in a pan and throw it in the oven and pull out these fresh cookies, they feel like they've done something, right? And whether you're a mom or a single person pulling those cookies out of the oven and getting the reaction from people going, check it out, I made cookies. I made cookies, right? yeah. It's, it's that wonderful experience of the cookies just came out of the oven and ooh, they're still warm, here they are, right? Yeah. That's the kind of response, that's the kind of emotional reaction that we're trying to get at from this package. And who better to do that than the Pillsbury Doughboy? Obviously. Right? Uh, loved icon, uh, beloved icon for many years. You can hear his voice as soon as you see him. But he elicits that kind of reaction that is uh, both nostalgic as well as kind of anticipatory of, oh, now I want cookies, right? And I can yep. almost picture them coming out of the oven and being warm. Uh, I used to work, uh, when I was in college, I worked in the dorms. And I was a sophomore in college and we had these uh, soft serve cookies that we would make. And it was similar, like I made them, but it was just a, you know, something <laughs> that I, I just stuck it in the oven. So one day I, I cut them into fourths, like just into quarters and I put them in the oven and they Giant came out. Cookies. I, what's that? Giant cookies. No, they were big cookies, but I made them into smaller cookies. Oh, I see. Yeah. And, and I put up a sign um, and it said, uh, it said freshman 15 question mark, which is like the 15 pounds you gain when you're freshman. I said, try our new cookie bites. It's a quarter of the quarter of the calories, a quarter of the fat, but all the great taste. And I'm not kidding you. There were people coming in going, oh my gosh, they have low fat cookies. I'm like, are you serious? It's just a quarter of the size. I can't believe. Anyway, it just made me think of that. Uh, this is, this is a great, it's a great pack. And the, uh, um, I love that concept that consumers, again, like intersecting between behavior and brand. Um, Cause I totally agree. People love to make like, you know, I, I think about like uh, from like a pizza segment, like we order from Papa Murphy's a lot just because I made the pizza. I just totally. heated an oven. I stuck it in, but check me out. I made it. Exactly. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, that simple shift was something that they, they carried through from their website to their commercials, mm -hmm. showing people making things. They have that, that great commercial where someone's taking crescent rolls and filling it with some uh, sloppy Joe mix and some ground beef. And it's like, check it out. I made sloppy Joe's, right? Uh, it, it was pervasive throughout all of their marketing communications, which is why it was so effective. It was about that experience of making stuff. People getting messy and having imperfect, you know, it's not the Martha Stewart perfect chocolate chip cookie. It's got bumps in it. There's, there's crumbs on it around and that's fine because that's real life. And that's really what people wanted. Yeah. That making experience. Yeah. It's your imperfection and it's great. Exactly. All right. So we got our last one here. Uh, we <laughs> certainly have, this is a, this is a much longer conversation. Um, I was actually just talking to somebody about this, uh, um, the idea of these these pouches and having a clear pouch because 
parents, shockingly, like to see what they're feeding their kids. I know yeah. it's a crazy concept. Um, and so was that was that a big part of of I mean, obviously on the on this uh folding carton you have you know great taste you can see and so kind of talk me through the the connection between consumer behavior and packaging here. It absolutely started with the clear pouch. That that was definitely the the driver of this initiative, uh, and it started basically because a, a competitor had uh, reported that they had some challenges with consumers saying uh, the applesauce in their pouch was moldy. Oh my yes, I remember this. Mommy, this this tastes funny. And the parents are mortified going, you know, horrified going, there's mold in the applesauce. What do I do? Right. So yep. uh, luckily that was with a competitor, not, not our brand here in, in Mott's, but the, the initiative was how do we create this, this clear pouch? How do we uh, leverage this technology of being able to see through the pouch, see the product, but also use it as an opportunity to enhance the experience for the kid. Right. right. Because this is something that uh, moms give their kids. They put them in lunch boxes. They have them after school. They take them to the beach. Uh, how could you make it something where they are asking for this particular product in this form? And as we uh, went through our exploratory, we kept coming back to this idea of using the clear window as this mouth. And the, the, the designer who uh, concepted this, this whole idea actually created a whole a uh, bunch of characters. It was actually like a team of different characters. And they all had different names from Corey to, uh, you know, all, all sorts of different uh, names. I forget what they were, but they all had their own personalities. They had different quirks about them. And uh, it became this really, really fun idea of these, these monsters, right? These monsters, monsters. Oh, monsters. Got together. it. And they uh, they all had their personality quirks, and it became this platform for us to create this new movement around this nuclear pouch. And this extended beyond just the packaging, but also into um, the, the point of sale displays where the mouth was now the shelving. It was really pretty amazing uh, and even extended into their website as well. So very, very successful. Again, you're dealing with a brand that has a great deal of equity for mm -hmm. many, many years. When you think of Apple, whether it's juice or applesauce, you think of moths, right? But how do you make that relevant for a, a new audience, a new generation of growing up uh, with this brand? And this is the beauty of moths, right? Is uh, their audience is renewed every year, right? Yeah. So you have young kids that are they're coming of age into being able to feed themselves and they grow up with the brand and they remember that and they become adults and then they have kids and they bring the same thing to their kids of moths, yeah, right? So it is a brand that has continual renewal and it's, it's pretty amazing uh, that the brand has this kind of longevity and relevancy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that, um, you know, not only does the brand, the brand equity does, you know, when, when you're dealing with kids and, you know, children's food, that there is, there is connection between brand integrity and trust, you know, because right. you're just not going to, you know, give your kids anything. Um, and I, the, for those who are not in the flexible film space, this clear uh, film was, has been quite an undertaking from a lot of, from a manufacturing perspective. So it's, it's been good to see it catch on um, because to your point, there was a very, uh, very real and scary situation where nobody could see 
the they couldn't the see the mold. You just right. you didn't know until the kid had already consumed it. That's terrifying. That's right. Yeah. Um, so as we talk about, you know, our, our theme here of, of behavior, uh, we're impacting two two behaviors, right? One is for the mom having the the confidence and feeling like, oh, I can see the product. I feel good about what I'm giving my mm. child. And uh, for the kid, you know, they, they don't care. It's, it's just a fun package that looks like a monster that they're going to ask their, their moms for. There's all different kinds. There's little stories on the back. And, you know, those kinds of behaviors both drive uh, trial and continued purchase. That's great. Uh, well, Satoru, it's been, uh, this has been great. Uh, you, you obviously work on some great, incredible brands. I'm sure we could sit here and talk for hours um, about packaging and packaging design. Um, so I've got your, uh, the contact information here for the agency, CBX. Um, you can follow them. I'm sure. Are, are you on LinkedIn? If somebody had a question for you directly? Absolutely. Uh, I am absolutely on LinkedIn. Uh, for more information about CBX, you can certainly go to cbx.com. Uh, but obviously we are looking forward to, uh, to talking to you more, Adam. And if we have, uh, you know, anything else that there's uh, topics you'd like to talk about, we welcome the opportunity. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Satora. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Thanks for having me.